Hey, good morning, folks. God bless you. Um, in, in so many ways, God bless you, <laughs> not just for sneezing. Hey, thank you guys for being here today. Uh, for folks who don't know me, um, Joe has some one of the pastors on staff, and it's great to have you here, especially if you're a guest for being here. It's always a challenge for folks who are coming to a church, a new church for the first time, and uh, just thank you guys for being here. Thanks for being courageous to come. Uh, I'm going to uh, share a, a very, well, not very holy word, but I'm, I want to share this word with you. I'm going to share it with you. Then you've got audience participation this morning. You've got you've to echo it back to me, okay? And the word, it's, it's not really a holy word, but it, it's, it's really a town or a city. I looked it up this morning on Google. It's a, it's a town in Russia. It's called Shimini. Could you guys say that with me? Shimini. Lots of H's. Shimini. Very good. Say it one more time. Shimini. Okay, you guys are going to be good. Um, and and in, in, my, in my message this morning, that's going to come up, and I'm going to ask you guys to say it back to me. And uh, it really means, loosely translated, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Okay, say, say it one more time with me. Shimini. You guys are good. Hey, um, back, back in June, my wife and I went to Nashville, uh, middle of June, and we met Amy. Amy was a parking lot attendant at this church in Nashville that we went to. We met her right at the curb, and she was amazing. And it was a Father's Day weekend, and my wife said we should go to church. It was Sunday. And usually I don't like to go to church when I'm on vacation, not because it's not a holy thing, but I go and I work. I start taking notes. I say, you know, man, we should do some of that. I start stealing jokes from the pastors. I mean, it's just... I wish I was lying to you, but that's what I do. I mean, I've taken notes the entire time. Um, um, but uh, we, uh, we're in Nashville for vacation, and my wife says we should go, and we go, and we look up church, uh, Cross Point. It's about two miles, a little over two miles away from where we were staying, and I had this brilliant idea to let's walk to church this morning. And, and if you've ever been to Nashville in the summer, even in the morning, it's hot and humid there. Um, but that's where we met, we met Amy at the entranceway, the parking lot entranceway to the church. And uh, we, we um, I guess she was waiting for folks like us. And it was about, we were, we, were, we were late. We were about 10 minutes late for church. Most folks had already parked. Most folks were inside the church. And that's when we met Amy. And we told Amy this was our first time. And that's when Amy kicked in radical hospitality, radical hospitality overdrive, she, she kicked it in and welcomed us. If you guys are taking notes, there's, there's, a, there's a message outline in your bulletin. Even if you're not taking notes, just pretend like you are. And I would like you guys, right next to radical hospitality, write, write this, everybody always, everybody always, right up to the top there, radical hospitality, everybody always, no excuses. Because that's what Amy, Miss Amy, the parking lot attendant, showed us. Everybody always, no excuses. We meet Amy at the, at the curb there. We introduce ourselves, or Amy asks us what's her names, and um, she, uh, we tell her we're from Colorado, we're just visiting, and that's where she, she leaves her parking lot spot. She's got the vest on. She didn't have, like, you know, lights or anything, but she was, her job was parking lot attendant. And she says, okay, hey, and starts walking us towards the church, to, towards the entrance. And it's not just, you know, a few feet away. It's like 150 feet away. And within a few seconds, she starts to tell us what the story of their church is. She tells us, even if you're from Colorado, everybody's welcome. Um, nobody's perfect. And, and, and um, something special, miracles can happen. 
And, and she's not like reading it off a card. She, she really believes it. She says, everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and miracles can happen. And as she's walking us to, to the church, she, she tells us more. She says, this is our most crowded service. If this service doesn't fit your time slot or it's too crowded, you, we've got a host of other services. And as we get to the door, there's this, there's this um, big cart that's filled with wa- bottled water and Gatorade. And by this time, I am like drenched. I mean, I'm dripping sweat. My wife is not even breaking a sweat, but I am dripping sweat. I, I don't think I stopped sweating until like halfway through the service. But Miss Amy says, grab a bottle of water, grab Gatorade, and come on in. She takes us to the door and introduces us to like an inside greeter. And she says, Amy says to us, it's been great. To, to, to meet you guys, have a great service. And, and don't, forget, don't forget to go to the Welcome Center. They've got a really cool gift there. Um, Cindy and I, my wife and I, we had, we had a great experience at the church. But the thing that stuck out with us, I mean, it was great preaching, great music, but the thing that stuck with us was Amy. After church, we went to the Welcome Center per Amy's direction, and they gave us these really cool mugs. And, and not just not just our family, they gave both of us. And in my parsimonious ways, if we ever got mugs like this, um, I would just give out one. And if they were from out of town, I would say, uh, you know what, just say thanks for coming, don't give them a mug. But, but they, were, they were modeling for us radical hospitality. They gave both Cindy and I a mug, and it, it's a really cool mug. And there's nothing on here that says, y'all come back, or www.crosspointchurch, or it just says, everyone's welcome. I mean, a really cool mug, a mug that you would put on your thing, and you, and you know that they weren't trying to sell anything. Um, it's very cool after, after um, well, and they, they had told the people at the Welcome Center, Amy had told them, hey, there's a couple from Colorado. Maybe they'll stop by. Make sure they feel welcome. And we did. After uh, the service, we tracked down Amy, who was still doing her parking lot job. Um, it wasn't an accident after she had abandoned her post, but she was still doing her, her traffic job. And we, we thanked her. We said, Amy, you are really good at this, loving us, welcoming us into this place. You made us feel so welcome, like, like at home. And I, and I told her that, hey, maybe we'll take some of this and bring it back to Colorado and do it. Um, I want to share this scripture from, from St. Peter, and I think it captures uh, some of what Amy was doing, this radical hospitality stuff. This is from 1 Peter chapter 4. St. Peter challenges us with this. Above all, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gifts he or she has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Believe from God's word, that's what radical hospitality looks like. And I want to fuss with that some as a church this morning. And I want to back it into the Good Samaritan story. If you've got a Bible handy, uh, the Good Samaritan story is in, is in the Gospel of Luke, uh, the 10th chapter of Luke. It's the third gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you go to John, you've gone one chapter too far. But it's the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter starting with the 25th verse. And it reads like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law, a churchy guy, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the expert in the law answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. 
You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the expert in the law wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus shared this story, this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, another churchy guy, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus asked the expert on the law this question, which, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus tells us the same thing, go and do likewise. I believe Jesus used stories, um, parables to teach us, to help us remember important things. Because they often back into our stories. And someone reminded me this week that, that we don't get to pick the parable that, we, that we're living in but we do get to pick who we are in the parable. And I love that. Um, I want you guys, if you will, just for a moment, to be the beat-up guy in the story, to put yourself in his shoes if you can. Okay, I want you to be the beat-up guy. And for some, of this, for some of us, this may be really hard to do. Maybe we've never felt like that, beat up like that, busted, we believe, beyond repair, and not just physically I'm talking about, but emotionally mentally and spiritually. For some of us, we know exactly what that's like. We feel that way right now. We came to church this morning like that, feeling helpless and hopeless. Not sure if we can make it. For others still, we're not there now, but we have been there and we remember exactly what that's like. So if you could, enter into being the beat up guy, if you will. Beat up, left for dead, coming in and out of consciousness, it's all foggy, praying for someone to notice us, to come over to us, to help us, because on our own, we're not going to make it. Hurting and groaning with every breath. Part of us is wishing they had finished the job because we're suffering. We wouldn't have to suffer anymore. Every, every breath, every attempt to move, it's agony. Body parts are broken. We're bleeding. Broken and hurting Busted beyond repair. Just to break from the story for a sec, I, I run a, uh, help run a class uh, called Starting Point. It's where we invite folks who are new to our church or kind of jumpstarting their faith or maybe new on the faith journey. We ask them to come be a part of that, learn about our church. And I always ask a, a couple of questions to them. How, how did you find this place? How did you pick this place? And number two, and I often just say um, to them, I make it kind of third person, what, what do you think folks were looking for when they came to this place? Really, what were you looking for when you came here? Why, why did you come? We get all types of answers um, 
to those questions, but most of them fall into two uh, closely linked categories. Is this place safe for me? And if I have a family, is this place safe for me and my family? And the second question, is there anyone here that looks like me? And, and not so much physically looks like me, but is there anyone that hurts like me? that doubts like me, that believes like me, that comes from another denomination like me, struggles like me, is afraid like me, angry like me, alone like me, broken and beat up like me, can't forgive like me, divorced like me, old like me, young like me. Is there anybody here that looks like me? What I believe they're really asking us, if they're truly honest, if they really truly reveal who they are, honest with their struggles, honest with their stuff, honest with their sin, they're asking, would I still be accepted here? Would this place really be a safe place for me to share with you who I really am? Sometimes in this place, in this room, we call it a sanctuary. Is it really that? Is it a safe place? Pastor Drew shared um, a couple weeks back um, a story, some stories, It was the Tower of Babel story, and he shared with us the power of words, the power of each of our words, the power of words to give life or to take it away. If you guys were here then, Pastor Drew, we we handed out these index cards, and we asked people to write on the cards um, either a blessing, someone who shared words with you that gave you life, but he also said, shared, um, if you've ever been, uh, words shared with you that just sucked the life out of you. And we collected the cards, and and during the message, we we filled this table up with those cards. And I was convicted during um, Pastor Drew's message, and it wasn't so much about where I've been hurt or where, where, where I've been blessed, but it was where I've used my words to hurt folks. And hopefully I never have hurt you, but I, I was convicted that sometimes I hurt my family. When they're looking for blessing or affirmation, I have not given it to them. And I was convicted. And and not so much with my wife or my daughter, but with my son. 25 years old, still trying to figure out what he wants to be when he grows up. I'm 61, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. But he has looked to me at times for a blessing and affirmation, and I didn't give it to him. I criticized him. I told him, go left, Jake, go left, go left. And he goes right, just like I did just like I did. But he was looking for blessing. I, I got this trophy back a couple of years ago. I'm sure I got it on Father's Day, World's Greatest Dad, but there's a date on it, 2018. I've not always been the best dad. Pastor Drew asked us, um, he had elders during communion, he had elders on the sides. And he said, if you've struggled with any of this, whether giving blessing or not, come let the elders pray over you. And it was a, um, a good friend of mine, Steve Kyle, was right over there by that statue. And I went over to him after I received communion, and I put my arms around him, and he's been a good friend for 10 years. And I said to Steve, Steve, sometimes I really suck, and I hate that word, but I suck at being a parent, especially to my kids as they get older. I was okay at it when I was in Little League, but not so much as they grow up. And he prayed this powerful prayer over me and with me. And by the end, I was weeping convicted. How we use our words sometimes to bless and sometimes not so much. Is there anyone here that looks like me, feels like me, 
hurts like me, believes like me, struggles being a parent like me. And Steve, Steve Kyle, who is the elder who was praying with me, comes back to me later on and he says, I, I struggle with the same thing with my, with my adult kids. And he told me these two powerful words that blessed me that day. He said, me too, me too. And I believe the enemy wants us to believe that we're the only ones that feel a certain way or struggle a certain way. I'm convinced we need to put a big sign out front on our church. All are welcome here, especially sinners, broken people, doubters, and knuckleheads like me. People will know then we're trying to figure it out too. Come walk with us. Maybe together we'll get some insights along the way, how to to love each other, how to be more like Jesus. Last thought on this. Um, It it may not show, but I, I love to exercise. I love to work out. Um, my, 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 my problem is that I love to eat this much more than I love to exercise. And maybe if I'm honest, I love to eat this much more. But, but when I go work out, I, uh, I, I consciously or subconsciously, I look around the place and look if there's people like me that are struggling with this. Because if there's only ripped people there and that they've not had a carb since 1980, I don't want to go to that place. Are there people here that look like me? And back to the gospel story. Um, There's a priest and the Levite in the story, and I'm not going to focus on those guys. I was raised on Catholic guilt. Um, I'm not going to go there because we've all been there, right? They're the two guys in the story, the two holy guys, the two churchy guys who see the beat-up guy and cross over to the other side of the street. We have been there too. We have crossed over to the other side of the street. I have crossed over to the other side of the street. Look the other way. Too busy, too broken ourselves to get involved, too focused on some shiny thing that gets our attention and not focused on the right thing. And that's where the Good Samaritan enters the story. The guy from Samaria. He's this guy, this Jewish, he's this guy, um, a non-Jewish guy, And he sees this broken guy, this Jewish guy, needing help desperately. And he looks at his watch. Then he looks at the broken guy. He looks at his watch. Then he looks at the broken guy. And he says that word that I taught you guys. He says, shimini. Say it with me. Shimini. And this internal dialogue starts to happen. I can't be late. I'm not a doctor. Man, this... Man, this guy is all busted up. All I've got is some duct tape and WD-40. I can't help this guy. Surely there will be someone that comes along more qualified, more equipped, more Jewish to help this guy. And my mom told me since I was a kid, don't mix it up with those Jewish folks. They don't like us, and we don't like them. Just to step away from the story for a second. Um, We have this 11-year-old rescue puppy at our house named Sammy. Uh, Sammy is the kindest, gentlest dog in the world. And I really believe if a robber broke into our house, and as, and as long as the robber pet Sammy on the head and then rubbed Sammy's tummy, the, our, our dog would show the robber our entire house. They don't have much, but here's their stuff. Here's their stuff. Unless, I truly believe this, unless the robber was dressed up like a squirrel, and then... <laughs> Then Sammy would want to rip, rip the robber's head off. Um, um, Sammy and squirrels don't get along. Sammy hates squirrels, and squirrels hate Sammy. That's the kind of relationship 
between the Samaritans back in the day and the Jewish folks. Bad blood, different side of the tracks, squirrels versus dogs, Broncos versus Raiders kind of thing. They didn't like each other. And as this Samaritan is wrestling with whether to help this Jewish guy or not, this whisper comes into his heart. Help him. Help him. This internal fight continues. I can't. I can't and I don't want to. I don't know what to do or how to do it. And maybe I could make it worse. And the whisper comes back firmer this time. Help him. Help him. I will help you. We've all been there. Wrestling with whether to jump in or not. Some of the stories we see coming, others just happen. The opportunity is there for a second to help, and if we don't, it's gone in a flash. Last Sunday, uh, I was with my family. We're driving westbound on C-470, and we were driving uh, past Lucent down underneath Santa Fe. If you guys remember, there's a hill that goes underneath Santa Fe, and and we could see from the brake lights ahead of us in the right-hand lane, there was a guy on a motorcycle that was having trouble. There was some bag or pannier on the back of his motorcycle that was falling off. And, and if, you, if you know the area, there's construction going on there, and there's jersey bar- barriers, these concrete barriers, and there's no, there's no place to turn off. There's no, there's no lane, there's no um, you know, place to, to pull over. And, and as we see the brake lights come on, we see folks trying to avoid this guy and going to the left lane. And, and we do the same thing. We're going to this left lane. But then we see this big, big old truck. He sees what's going on. He sees this guy that's hanging out there, vulnerable to the world, and he pulls back behind the guy in the motorcycle, puts on his flashers, and protects him. He guards him. Didn't have that on his agenda. I'm sure he looked at his watch, looked at the guy struggling, and he said that same word, shiminy. But he goes and helps him. He steps into the mess. Remember, shimini is a holy word, not so holy. Loosely translated, it means, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And back to the gospel story, the Samaritan takes pity on the beat-up guy, the Jewish guy. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He puts this guy back together as best he can with duct tape and WD-40, puts him on his donkey and brings him into town, finds an inn. And I'm sure, because Samaritans are like this, found a Hampton Inn or a Holiday Inn Express because they've got free breakfasts in the morning. Um, But he leaves his credit card with the front desk and tells them, whatever it takes, radical hospitality, everybody always, no excuses. And at the end of the story, Jesus' message to you and I, you want to love your neighbor? That's what it looks like. Radical hospitality. Radical hospitality. My wife and I are reading this book. Uh, It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And they have another definition for radical hospitality. And this is the first fill in the blank in your notes. Radical hospitality. Those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. Those who live radical hospitality, they see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. We're all connected. I believe folks who embrace radical hospitality, they struggle with folks who want to put a person in a box or a category or put some label on them. I believe folks who really embrace radical hospitality, they truly see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. 
They know deep down inside they are broken sinners as well, and they're not so much different than meth addicts or sex trade workers. They take their own sins seriously, especially the sins of selfishness and pride. And they take God's holiness and goodness seriously, and they use God's word, the scriptures, as a lifeline, no exceptions. And from God's word, they really believe that they are holy, they are set apart and holy, and that they are truly, dearly beloved children of our Heavenly Father. No matter what they've done, and no matter what's been done to them, What does it look like around here to be a church that embraces the concept of radical hospitality? What does it look like on a Sunday morning when we're welcoming folks, especially guests? What does radical hospitality look like? Some of you folks know we have a, a wonderful hospitality team that includes door greeters and coffee cafe folks and welcome center people. And they are great folks and they do a great job every Sunday. And we admit we're still learning how to do this and how to get better, trying to get our arms around what it means to live into this radical hospitality stuff. And remember our friend Amy from Nashville, we need, to, we, need, we need to learn a few things from her. Just a couple of things that I, that I know for sure about hospitality, about welcoming folks. We only have about seven minutes to make a first impression on folks. And in those seven minutes, before we ever sing a song, or hear a message preached, or pray or do communion, Folks have already made up their mind on whether they're coming back or not. Seven minutes we have. From the street to the seat, that's all we got. Have we extended radical hospitality to folks? Have we extended it to folks in a way that's genuine and authentic, not like we're selling Amway or Timeshare or Anderson Windows? And number two, there's a big difference between being invited to a place and being welcomed. Sarah, our daughter, invited a good friend of hers, her childhood buddy, best friend. And I pray that we're we're welcoming you, Julia. Not just inviting you, but that we're welcoming you. We've all been to places where we've been invited, be it a party or a first day of school or work, but we haven't been welcomed. Amy's church, the Nashville church, they welcomed Cindy and I. Amy welcomed us well. She, more than the music and the singing and the preaching and everything else, she loved us and welcomed us into that place. She was the arms of Jesus and the feet of Jesus to us that day. I think we do hospitality pretty well here, but I know we can do better. We're going to make some changes to our coffee cafe. We're going to try to keep it open during this, this, this worship hour. We're going to do some changes to our welcome center. We're going to try to do a radical hospitality workshop in August, August 22nd. We'll invite you guys all to be a part of it because we can always use more help in doing it. Jesus told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. That's the part of my prayer this morning to see if we can encourage more folks to help out with the harvest, to help out with this radical hospitality. And I'll come back to this in a minute. And Radical hospitality is not just for our guests, it's for everybody. Radical hospitality, everybody always, no excuses, truly means everybody. New people, old people, tall people, tattooed people, short, fat, balding people like me, everybody, everybody. The guy in the Good Samaritan story who's beat up and left for dead along the street, he wakes up in a clean bed, wounds bandaged, 
He wonders, what happened? How did I get here? Who took care of me? And why? When we do church close to being right, when we do good church, I think we do the same thing as the Good Samaritan. We see somebody hurting, busted alongside of the road. We may look at our watch and we may say, shiminy, but we jump in to help. This morning I challenged the first service um, if they could jump in because we often have opportunities right here and now to practice radical hospitality. One of our one of our staff members from church, Margaret Rao, some of you guys may know Margaret. She's one of the quarterbacks that, that helps us keep church going. She found out a month ago that she has breast cancer. And she's just beginning the fight, and she's scheduled for surgery this coming Friday. And I asked her if we could pray for her and her husband, Scott, between services in the chapel. She was expecting only a handful of folks. And I, I challenged the first service folks, if you have a minute Come with us and help us love on Margaret and Scott. Pray with them. She was truly expecting just a handful of folks. We filled the chapel. Margaret experienced, I believe, radical hospitality, the real thing. Someone shared this with me a while back in a devotional. I still remember it, November 30th. It's the last fill-in-the-blanks in your notes. It's, she said, the, the, the devotional said this, you have not lived a perfect day unless you have done something for someone who will never be able to pay you back. You have not lived a perfect day unless you have done something for someone who will never be able to pay you back. In this context, a perfect day is a day you do something for someone with no strings attached. It's a day you do something for someone with agape love, God's love, unconditional love, grandma-type love, random acts of kindness love, pay-it-forward kind of love, good Samaritan love, radical hospitality love. I believe at its core, radical hospitality is all about love. It's how we love God with everything we've got and how we respond to God's challenge to us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And in simple terms, we're challenged to love the things that God loves. No exceptions, especially the folks that don't look like us. Be it Samaritans or Jewish people or squirrels or Raiders fans. And I believe part of this radical hospitality is also about being real and genuine and authentic. It's about being vulnerable. Not too long ago, someone from our church first service came to me and said, Will you help me? Man, those are hard words for us to say, aren't they? Especially, especially for us guys. Will you help me? Marcus Knotts, maybe some of you guys know him, came to me a month or so ago and shared those words with me. Joe, will you help me? It was not just me he was asking. It was us. It was the people I know. It was this church family and beyond. See, Marcus has stage four kidney disease. And he needs a new kidney badly. And he asked me and Randy Denea, another member of our church, if we could help him find one. Marcus's body is beat up and failing, desperately needing some help. And I looked at my watch, and I looked at Marcus. I looked at my watch, I looked at Marcus, and I said, Shimini, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Randy, Danae, and I are serving as living donor champions for Marcus. What that means, we're both committed to getting the word out about Marcus, his story, about his need for a kidney. And his current kidney function is about 15, 
between 15 and 18 percent. About 12 percent is when he needs to go on dialysis. And the doctors are trying really hard to keep him from going on dialysis because his life expectancy goes up w- way much higher. And some of you know this, and I'm learning it right now. Once, once you're on a national kidney transplant list, sometimes it takes up to five or six years before you'll get a kidney that way from a deceased donor. There's a thousand folks right here in Colorado that are in front of front of Marcus for a kidney. Most folks who have to wait five or six years for a kidney, then they're too sick to receive a kidney. Marcus is hoping to receive a kidney by way of a living donor transplant. And this is where someone, a healthy friend or a family member, maybe even a complete stranger, donates one of their kidneys. And Marcus is a fellow brother here at church. Marcus may be stranger than most here at church, but uh, he's a neighbor. He and his family have been around here a long time, almost 30 years, and he's pulled cable in this church sanctuary to keep the lights on and the computers going and the sound to work. He's been an elder, and he currently serves on the executive board. He's prayed for and with folks that have come and gone through this place. He's got a saint of a wife named Karen, married to her for a long, long time, got three grown boys and eight grandkids. And I asked Marcus why he wants to keep going, why he wants to go through all of this. And he said simply, I'm not done yet. I told Marcus that was good enough for me. I'm thinking God's not done yet with Marcus either. I love Marcus because he's honest and he'll ask the hard questions. He sees the elephant in the room before anybody else and won't let us forget there's an elephant in the room. Marcus, he's a tough guy. He's a working man's man. He always makes my top 10 favorite curmudgeons list. And Marcus will argue this with me, but I've seen how this kidney disease over the last several months has softened Marcus, made him kinder and gentler, maybe even wiser. But maybe when we see the end in sight or it's close, maybe that's what happens to all of us. This kidney stuff hits close to home for me. My mom died of it a year ago, September. My mom was on dialysis the last eight months of her life. And having watched my mom and dad go through it, it's a tough road to hope. Unlike Marcus, my mom wasn't a good candidate for a transplant. She had other body parts that were wore out. But I believe in all my heart, my mom went through the whole dialysis thing to give our family and me more time. I believe she did it to teach us a little bit more about life, about love, about being tough, about saying goodbye. And I believe that's why Marcus is asking for our help now, to have some more time with us, with his family. He's got two grandkids in California that are special needs. He's committed to helping his boy through that, helping his grandkids. Dr. Showmaker, the the nephrologist who's been coaching Randy and I how to be a living donor champion, he shared that he believes with all his heart people are born to donate organs. He really believes folks just have to be asked. You don't have to twist an arm or finagle or guilt them into it. You just have to share the story with the right person and they will say yes. Some would call it a calling to be a living donor. You have not lived a perfect day unless you've done something for someone who will never be able to pay you back. This whole kidney donor thing 
I believe is about living the perfect day. And when someone steps up and says, I want to see if I could be a match. I want to see if my kidney could help Marcus. For that someone, it will be a perfect day. And maybe if you and I help share the story with that person, maybe it will be a perfect day for us. Because I believe in all my heart, when, when Marcus finally gets this new kidney, it will be a perfect day for him and his family. You want to live out some radical hospitality? You give one of your body parts to someone. You give a kidney to someone. Jesus once said to his followers, he says to us, there's a cost, there's a cost to follow me. What price are we willing to pay? Radical hospitality, it's loving each other, welcoming each other, caring for each other, over the top. Everybody, always, no excuses. All of us here who have been hanging around church for at least some time, we know there's no, this side of heaven, there's no perfect church. But if you're looking for a church, for people who care, trying to be real and authentic and trying to live out this gospel as best we can, living it out in a way where we love each other and pray for each other, share our hearts and our hurts with each other, maybe even a kidney with each other, then maybe, maybe this is a place for you and me, trying to figure it out together. Can you guys bow your heads with me and let me pray us into communion. Heavenly Father, Lord, the Good Samaritan story challenges us to love our neighbor in a way that, that stretches us. Lord, radical hospitality. Loving the stranger as if they were a neighbor and knowing that every neighbor is part of the family of God. Lord, I pray for us, nudge us along to help embrace what this radical hospitality means to us, to each of us. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet in a way that's real. I pray this over us, Lord. I pray this over me. It's in your son Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.